Mini episode 1538 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge mini episode 1538. This is FDH managing partner Rick Morris here. And I have a very special panel for you for the 2022 World Series. We have two of our favorite FDH Lounge dignitaries. And both of them have done an awful lot of uh, broadcasting over a period of time with our good friend uh, Steve Callis, fellow FDH Lounge dignitary. Ken Detweiler, I used to sidekick for him, of course, back at the old Sports Talk Network. Life's a pitch with Ken Detweiler. Uh, what a fun show that always was, and uh, we've carried it over here to the lounge where uh, Ken has been a regular contributor over a period of time, more often than not on baseball. And uh, we have done a lot of uh, segments over a period of time, a lot of roundtables with uh, Steve Callis. And uh, so Ken is somebody that, uh, of course, we just recently did one going into the uh, 2022 postseason. So always a pleasure to get him back on. Kenny D, uh, so happy to have you here, my man. Well, I'm glad to, glad to be here with you. And uh, I'm looking forward to hearing the affiliate perspective from Joe and other perspectives. So this is, uh, is going to be fun. It is going to be indeed. And that brings us to... My man, uh, fellow FDH Lounge dignitary, Joe Stazak, a longtime veteran over the decades of uh, TV and radio in the Philadelphia area, and uh, somebody who is uniquely uh, qualified to come in here and give the perspective and tell us about some of the things on the ground, some of the things happening with the Phillies here that the rest of us might not be hip to. I'm always a big believer that uh, when you're talking to somebody in a local market, uh, you get a perspective that uh, nobody else has. And uh, we're counting on that. I know we're going to get it as well as the usual wit and wisdom from uh, my man, Joe Stazek. Always a pleasure to bring him back in. He's sitting in for Steve Callis here tonight. Joe, uh, so grateful and uh, glad to have you on, my man. Hey, always great to be here, guys. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. This town, this town was shaking a few days ago. It's calmed down a little bit, but kind of like the calm before the storm. We're ready to rock and roll again. Well, let's start there. <laughs> let's start there because this is a thing where, again, from the outside, uh, I'm getting a lot of vibes as far as the uh, the unexpected nature of this. Uh, you look at the uh, the upset in the 93 National League Championship Series against the Braves, and that was a team that was on a roll, and a lot of people said, hey, maybe a team of destiny or whatever, and uh, uh, they, they ran up against uh, Toronto in the World Series, who was a juggernaut at that time, maybe kind of similar yeah. to uh, what Houston is right now. So talk about that. Just Is that just like a surface comparison here, looking back at uh, 29 <laughs> years ago? No, it's actually, well, here's the difference. And not a bad comparison. I was just hanging out with the 93 team. The uh, My friend runs the Darren Dalton Foundation for brain cancer. We had a golf outing. Most of the 93 guys were there. It was funny seeing them. They were total jerks back in 93. They're very <laughs> nice guys nowadays. I uh, love to watch total jerks. 
those jokes. I was hanging out with Schilling, couldn't stand him back in the day, but, you know, any any big game I'd have, I'd like to have him on the hill. But it was fun. We had a nice time, raised a lot of money. But um, here's the difference between those teams, because I compare them kind of, again, until things are complete and the book is written on this season, mm-hmm. we don't know, but they ran into a juggernaut in the uh, Toronto Blue Jays, like you're right, like you said, who ended up winning back-to-back World Series. Uh, that team, though, was good. That team went wire-to-wire wire that year. 93 was wire-to-wire, wire, first place. There was no doubt about it. And then, yeah, they, they kind of, you know, they, they, they beat the Braves in six games, again, with Maddox and Glavin and, uh, you know, that whole uh, uh, Schmaltz and Avery, Steve Avery. And, uh, you know, then they get and they, 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 they stumbled in game four. They had game four one. They were up six runs in the eighth inning, and then Mitch Williams started pitching batting practice. And they lost that game, turned the series around. They still almost took it to game seven. We know what happened with Joe Carter. This team, not very good all year, 87 wins. In fact, these two teams, this World Series is a 19-game disparity, which is the biggest in World Series history since 1906. It's that much of a difference. This team did not play great uh, most of the year. They really, though, kind of flipped a switch when Joe Girardi was let go in May. Rob Thompson, who was Girardi's you know, right-hand man a long time in uh, New York, took over. and They really started playing ball. They actually played better when Har- Harper went out with the elbow injury. But then they struggled down the stretch like they have in the past few Septembers, and everyone was just off the bandwagon. And you know, I know some of my colleagues at the station were like, you know, even if they get in, limp in, and Milwaukee doesn't keep losing to to, uh, to the Marlins, which they were doing at home. They're like, you know, we hate this team. You know, this team is this, this team is that. You know, of course, that changed once they got in. And I think the biggest catalyst was the ninth inning six-run, um, you know, output in St. Louis. They kind of gave them a charge, kind of like, wait, you know what? Maybe they had no runs up until that point. And Aaron Nola pitched the gym. They won 6-2. to two. They went on to sweep that series, and they just – they kind of jailed. You see that happen a lot. Like the Nationals, you know, came together a few years ago, made a run. The Braves last year, the 2011 uh, Cardinals, that were ten and a half games out in August that year, you know, beat the Phillies. Uh, Chris Carpenter versus Roy Halladay in the NLDS. It's the last time the Phillies saw the playoffs before um, this season. And then they just kind of went on a run. And uh, Harper got hot. You know, five home runs in the postseason. Reese Hoskins, five home runs. Kyle Schwarber, three. That's three of the top five guys in Major League Baseball in the postseason with 13 home runs, all right? Those guys are doing what they're supposed to do. And despite Reese, you know, Reese, he might be the worst defensive first baseman I've ever seen. He does, he did come through and hit some big home runs. But, of course, none bigger than Harper. You know, the heartbeat and the blood of the team runs through Bryce Harper. And what he did the other night was just spectacular. And, um, you know, so here we are. And I would have liked it if the World Series started a lot sooner because, you know, the team with the mojo, you know, the, you know, you saw what happened to the Braves and the Dodgers with too much time off. I'm not sure if that's a real thing, but um, it kind of dies down. And can you pick that momentum up again? I don't know. We're going to find out. Well, again, and I hate to say this, Joe, but another team that comes to mind as far as a team that got, like, super hot and then I think uh, they had to sit a little bit long after wrapping up the pennant, the 07 Colorado Rockies. That's another team that a yes, lot of people are drawing sure. comparisons to. So, yeah, so sure. I hope for your sake that that turns out not to be the case. Uh, Ken, I want to ask you on, on something that Joe said there with your the, your background uh, now, uh, 50 years plus, uh, Ken, I understand uh, in terms of uh, coaching, uh, playing back in the day, et cetera, in baseball. 
Uh, this thing about the defense and that uh, Philly is uh, objectively, by the numbers, an execrable defensive team, uh, and uh, Houston is uh, pretty dadgum good defensively. In terms of the degree to which you, from your longtime coaching perspective, would value that uh, as being a big factor in the series? Absolutely, yeah. Uh, as you probably both know, and uh, a lot of baseball fans know this, but baseball, the defense takes care of the ball. It's not like basketball or anything else where the offense hasn't. So defense is a premium. One thing was I was, I was listening to Joe, Rick, I'd hate to take this to a different direction here, mm-hmm. but I was watching a show today on the MLB network and they were talking about Mike Schmidt was, was being interviewed and he had said that the catalyst for the Phillies was Pete Rose. Mm-hmm. On that, on that team. They were just kind of eh, moving around, moving around, which kind of Joe, what you were saying, they've kind He's of been hanging, right, around, yeah. hanging around, hanging around. And when you said that, it, it just tripped the trigger with me. Schmidt said, yeah, I don't know if it was all Pete Rose, but he had so much to say positive about each one of us, kept us up, kept us going. My question to both of you, I guess, is – who would be the catalyst on this team for the Phillies? <laughs> I'm going to let Joe go first. I'm going to cheat. <laughs> well, no, that's okay. I, I mean, I don't think they have a Pete Rose because, you know, you're right, Ken. Until Pete got here, they, they they couldn't get out of the NLCS. They lost to the Big Red Machine in 76 and the Dodgers in back-to-back series. And the Pirates ended up coming back from 3-1 to one to beat the O's in 79. Then they bring in Pete Rose, and he was the difference. He really was. And to a man, you, you know, Schmidt might have said that. But, and ask Boa, ask Bake McBride, ask all those guys. You know, I know Pete much maligned, you know, nationally. But he really uh, was the key element to coming into this team, to bringing them a World Series. Uh, I, I, you know, they didn't do a lot at the trade deadline. They didn't bring in, uh, you know, too much in here this year. To me, it's going to be Harper. It's just going to be seen a follow leader. And Schmidt was the MVP of the World Series in 1980. So, uh, as much as Pete Rose was the catalyst all year and might have gotten him over the hump, uh, he also had a big home run and extra innings in Montreal and Jerry, at Jerry Park uh, in 80 to get them to uh, uh, pass the Expos to win the NLE to get them into the playoffs. And if you recall, it was maybe one of the greatest series I've ever seen. It was a five-game series in the NLS against Houston where they had to come back from two games to one down and they won uh, four games in extra innings. It was just an amazing series to get them to the World Series. But uh, I don't think they have a Pete. But they, uh, they have a Bryce, and I think they're just going to have to you know, follow the leader, and the leader is going to have to continue to do what he's been doing. Well, as lame as it sounds, that was going to be my answer, is that uh, <laughs> I, I go back to just in looking at the home run that won the pennant uh, this past Sunday and the way that everyone rallied around to him, that he may not have the same kind of vocal leadership as Pete Rose or the same kind of... Uh, and I, this sounds weird because I'm not sure Pete Rose is somebody that we would associate the term because it's a new age term, emotional intelligence. But it sounds like mm-hmm. Pete Rose had a pretty good amount of emotional intelligence for the time as far as how to deal with people and get the most out of his teammates. And that Bryce Harper, just based on his greatness, just on the whole thing of like, climb on my back, I'll carry you there, I would kind of get that sense from him. And that 1980 series, yes, uh, a truly, truly great one. I understand you were saying before, Ken, they're re-showing it on the MLB Network, so I'm going to have to duck in at some point and watch some of that. Is that right? Oh, it was unbelievable. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, good times. And again, 
uh, every time Houston gets to the uh, World Series, it's you know, maybe not quite every time, but I mean they had a lot of uh, postseason history with Atlanta when they fa- and then they faced them in the World Series last year. So these are the things that happen when you switch leagues, and it's uh, similar to uh, St. Louis and Milwaukee, albeit when they met in the 2011 National League Championship Series. That was after they met in the 82 World Series, so that was kind of backwards from what this is. But uh, two teams in the same circuit uh, for the bulk of both of their histories. I'm just going to go down this uh, briefly here and get a sense from you guys on the numbers here. Uh, From the FDH end of regular season breakdown, available on the main page at fantasydrafthelp.com, this is just a kind of... A compilation of numbers here, and then all kind of put in a blender at the end for an overall ranking. Uh, Coming into the playoffs, on the overall ranking in baseball, Houston was in third place uh, behind the Dodgers and Yankees, and Philly was tied for eighth with Seattle and Cleveland points-wise. In our end-of-season power rankings, we had Houston third and Philadelphia twelfth, actually. OBP, uh, and, and again, Houston wins in all of these categories, spoiler alert, OBP, Houston 7, Philadelphia 12. In uh, OPS Plus, Houston 7, Philadelphia 8. FIP, Houston 1, Philadelphia 7. ERA Plus, Houston 2, Philadelphia 12. In the Pythagorean record, Houston 3rd, Philadelphia 11th. SRS, Houston 3rd, Philadelphia 10th. Run differential, Houston 3rd, Philadelphia 10th. So, again, very daunting, at least on paper, uh, Joe. Again, these numbers don't tell us anything that the media is not already saying and, and talking about here as far as, A, the juggernaut notion of the Astros and uh, going up against, as you said, a team with uh, uh, a, a win differential that is kind of historic for a World Series meeting. I suppose what all of this rests on, if you're a Philadelphia guy at this point, is, and there is a validity to this, of you throw out essentially everything that happened when Girardi was still the manager because, quite frankly, that incarnation of this team wasn't going to the playoffs, much less the World Series. So if you were to compare the teams from the point of Rob Thompson becoming manager uh, those numbers would be much closer than the ones I just read off, and therein, I, I, I guess, probably lies all the hope from everybody from Philadelphia. Well, yeah, uh, it just wasn't working with Girardi. I mean, the team was completely flat, and I know, you know, it's different than other sports. Like, uh, in hockey, I think a coach makes a, it makes a difference. He's, you know, much more vocal, can figure out the lines or, you know, match other lines, and obviously football, it's ultra-important. Uh, in baseball, I think it was, I don't know if it was Whitey Ford, so the manager might make the difference in like six or seven wins or losses throughout the year. But they they instantly just caught fire when he was gone. So I don't know if there's something to it. A lot of the players to a man said that basically they could be themselves a little bit more. And Joe Jura is a good, good dude. He's not, not a bad guy. I think he was just very aloof with his players, whereas... You know, the assistants get to be, you know, all friendly with the players, and they usually complain to him about the, the head coach or the manager and whatnot. But even when he became the manager, he was still open to a policy. I mean, he'd take guys behind the scenes and have a chat with them, but it was the way he did it. It kind of made them feel like he had their backs. And they, they started playing a lot looser and a lot better. And it was amazing because I, I remember thinking, this probably isn't going to make a big difference because they've tried and tweaked with this team for years since Harper got here and even before, and they haven't been able to find a chemistry. And, 
you know, there's not a lot of personality on the team, and folks around here think, well, it's not a very likable team. It's not a dislikable team, but there's nothing like the 93 team. They were just, you know, long hair and, you know, beer bellies, and just each, everyone had a, a, an off the hook year. And around here, there's just not a lot of connection with the players, and then it just took off. But then again, September happened, and it was like, here we go again. You know, they got swept by the Cubs in Chicago late, and they had to have Milwaukee. You know, I think lose uh, three or four or maybe three straight to the Marlins at home. You know, they, they were the only team playing worse than the Phillies at the time. But once they got in, you know, again, once you're in, you know, you can't win it unless you're in it. They got in it and they got hot. And, you know, things changed. The whole new season, everything else is forgotten. You know, the 87 wins, uh, notwithstanding, you know, they're hot right now. So I wouldn't want to face them. But, again, Houston, I mean, from, from <laughs> top to bottom – I'm amazed they haven't won more championships. And I know they're vilified from 2017, and I have to get this in because Callis texted me and said, you know, those, he wanted me to call them the cheaters. He, he says that every time the word Houston comes up. Yeah. Now, he'll never get over that. But uh, I'm like, I, I understand that, Steve, but they're still the, the, be, the best team I've seen in the last, you know, five years. They keep reloading and retooling. And the, but they haven't been able to, to – I think they've left some on the table. You know, I'm looking at Justin Verlander's uh, they, they, you know, the starting pitchers came out, and we were all wondering, well, it's going to be Wheeler and Nola, you know, your first two, your, your top guns. And But they went, uh, Rob Thompson's going with Nola in game one versus Verlander. Verlander's 15-11 in the postseason with a three points, uh, what is it, 3.55 ERA. But in the World Series, 0 for 6 with 0 and 6 with a 5.68 ERA, 24 earned runs, 35 hits. So, you know, I don't know if that means anything because, again, you throw all that out, but um, it's not like, you know, it's not like he's um, Sandy Koufax or anything or hasn't been in the World Series for whatever reason. You know, you don't know why Clayton Kershaw, you know, or Peyton Manning never came up really huge and was dominant in the postseason, but, uh, but were dominant regular season players. So it gives Philly uh, a little bit of hope at least because – you know, if you go you go down 0-2 to Houston with your top two guns, you're you're going to have some problems. Just you might not get back to Houston. Very much so. And again, and I want to ask uh, Ken his thoughts on the managerial change. But I have a follow up question based on something that you were talking about there with the makeup sure. of the Philadelphia team, and that being. Uh, I, I spend a decent amount of time this year preparing for segments like this on Baseball Reference. I, I hate to bury them by saying I'm disappointed they don't have a World Series page up yet, but uh, just in looking at the two teams individually, and I've been looking at the teams back uh, through the last couple of rounds here, and what struck me about Philadelphia is, and reading articles in recent days about how they somewhat kind of followed in the footsteps in the 2010s of the Cubs and the Astros as far as trying to do a full-scale rebuild, uh, tear-down rebuild. Looking just at the age of the players on this team, and it's a thing where a lot of late 20s, early 30s, and it's a thing where they're sort of like late bloomers as far as a rebuild goes. I, there were, I'm sure, a lot of people that were ready to write them off at this point as far as like, okay, well, this didn't work, and the Braves and the Mets are ascending in this division here. But uh, it's the story of the rebuild team that, like, eventually, after a number of years, finally did make it as far as they were supposed to make it. You're right about that. And that's why I think everyone's been so disappointed. Rick, it never really happened. And a lot of it came down to starting pitching. Aaron Noah out of LSU, they re-signed him, uh, gave him a nice contract a couple of years ago. It was very team-friendly. And then he tanked. 
he, he just tanked. He, he certainly wasn't the guy who earned that contract. They bring in Zach Wheeler, which I thought was a great acquisition. To me, he turned into out to be the ace of the team, and we've seen that in the postseason. Again, they came together. Noel, two, two of his three starts, he was he was brilliant. And, you know, he lost the four-run lead in his third start against the Padres, but, you know, Wheeler's uh, ERA is 1.78, and um, they're, uh, they're hoping that uh, Nola, if he starts, he, he's, he, this was interesting because on four days rest, if he pitches game one and four, he's going to be on four days rest instead of two and five, I think, which would have been, or two and six, which have been five days rest. He's much better on that extra day of rest, but this is the way that Rob Thompson went. Aaron Nola didn't, you know, he's had a little bit more time off since that four-run um, deficit he gave up to the Padres. So he's going with uh, him against Verlander. And we still should be right. It's a, it's a team that really, even the regular season, they didn't, didn't look like a team that was heading anywhere. They were, again, tanking in September for some reason. But, hey, you never know what, what, what turns a team around. Or I still think it was the ninth inning of the first game in St. Louis where they put up six runs. And, you know, stunned the Cardinals fans, came back the next night, you know, took that series, and then, you know, took the Braves. And uh, I'm not going to say easily, but, you know, pretty handily. I know they lost game two, three, nothing, but they – they came back at home, and they've been phenomenal at home, uh, Citizens Bank Park. Uh, fans are behind them. And, you know, there's that there's that mojo going, and it looks like the team has really come together. And the pitching, again, it's not just you know uh, let's ride a wave. The pitching really has been uh, phenomenal. You know, Ranger Suarez has done a great job. He even came in to close out the Padres the other day after he started a few days earlier and did a great job in the second start. Uh, in the postseason, but um, once you get to the tail end, then it's like, uh-oh, who knows? But the closing, uh, the, you know, Sir Anthony Dominguez has been very good, too. Sands the three wild pitches the other day. He's been very good. He's given up one run, and that only run in 15 innings was, you know, the wild pitch the other day uh, against the Padres. So, um, you know, uh, they, they seem like they're all coming together at the right time. They all have a lot of confidence. They're not scared by, you know, no one got freaked by the lights at the big stage. So uh, not, not a ton of World Series experience on this team. In fact, Gene Segura went like, you know, like 1,900 games without, a, you know, World Series or postseason appearance. He's been playing great. And Castellanos had a very disappointing year here coming in, you know, with uh, expectations of being a much better hitter. But again, he stole a game in, uh, in Atlanta. It was St. Louis, I think, making some defensive stops and, couple big hits and a lot of two-out hits. The team's just doing timely things, and they're doing things the correct way. Now, you'll see from time to time they look like, you know, Walter Matthau sitting there on the bench, you know, with some of the way they play defense. But uh, they've been able to kind of uh, recover from some of that by some timely hitting and some big home runs. Very much so, yes. And uh, as I said, I want to circle here to you, uh, Ken, to get your thoughts on uh, a managerial change and what that can do as far as uh, the, the culture of a ball club, that part of it is is kind of evident. Uh, the defense has not appreciably gotten better since then, but uh, many of the other elements uh, have reverted to the predicted form as, as far as everything that uh, Philadelphia was supposed to do, uh, pitching and offensively. So uh, thoughts on that, Ken, from, from your time, from your experience in baseball, what, what that kind of a move uh, from one manager to somebody that, that comes in and has the Midas touch? Well, it's a crapshoot, um, in my opinion. I, I like Girardi. Girardi, um, I think he's going to be – I hope he goes back and becomes a manager for somebody else because I think he's a, 
He's a good mind. I think he's a good manager. I seem, I seem to think, and like I said, you don't know what's going to turn a team around. As I'm listening again to Joe and you again, Rick, it's to me watching the series leading up to this World Series. I think the Philly fans are feeding these guys on the Phillies team. They're responding to the fans more so than I think. And maybe this is just me and Steve Callis with the Astros. Um, <laughs> you know, going going back to that, a little bit of that. Not, not as much as Steve because the Astros check all the boxes for me. I mean, it's just they're in a class by themselves, which can be good and can be bad for them. And that's why I was watching the Phillies fans. They seem to be really, really, really into this. And, and I, I think that, they, that the players are feeding off that stuff. Because listening to Joe, and if I, maybe I misunderstood you, but the fans were kind of down, kind of down. And now yes. I would never know that by what I've seen in the last two series. Totally flipped around. And it's such a tight yeah. place. Citizens Bank Park, you're right on top of everything. The place shook when Harper hit that home run. Shook. Yeah. And I can, I can believe that because I just watched that. And I see, not that Houston's complacent. Uh, they're not. They're just, they're just a, the creme de la creme right now. Right. But we've seen, all of us have seen over the years, teams like, and I'm dating myself here, Willie Mays and the Giants upsetting the Indians. Yeah. Uh, the 60s Pirates, the Miracle Mets, the Tigers down to the to the uh, Cardinals with Bob Gibson on the mound. The Red Sox coming down, coming back from 3-0 against the Yankees. And maybe this is just me, and Rick, you know this better than anybody. I always, every once in a while, I put on these rose-tinted glasses. Mm-hmm. I, don't think it's, I don't think it's this way. I'm really feeling something here. And maybe I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid. But I'm looking at little things here and there. Like I said, I think the fans are into it. If they can keep that mojo going, like like what I've seen from over here in Cleveland on my television, it's like, wow, there's a difference. These folks are really, really into it. And, you know, Philadelphia has a history of being eh, not so nice to their teams. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, and here's the thing, Ken. As far as you being surprised about the reaction of people in Philly, uh, when they had been a little bit more dormant when the team was going uh, poorly. Let me split the atom and give you some untold uh, wisdom that the world's never heard before. Everyone loves a winner, Ken. There you go, all right? Everyone yeah. loves a winner. And that's yeah. that's how we get to yeah. that uh, part of the equation. I want to ask you a quick follow-up on that here, too, as far as uh, managerially. Uh, the one thing, and even for the people who really loathe uh, Houston, and I've never really fallen into that boat the way that some people have, so I don't have any kind of uh, inhibitions <laughs> there. Uh, yeah, I mean, of, of the three of you guys, I'm by far the least hater, and I never understood the whole thing of, like, people in this town that would even root for, like, the, the Yankees and Red Sox over them in the playoffs. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, and first of all, again, you know, Boston cheated. That was on the record. And the Yankees basically <laughs> cheated as well. It's come out what they did. Uh, with their video room and everything, so everybody's hands are dirty. 
on that. But... I'm with you. I'm with you. Sorry, I mean, yeah. I'm with you, Go Rick. Ahead. I don't yeah. hate the Astros like everyone else. There is so much hatred. My cousin, female, chimed in. I don't think she even wants baseball. She's like, yeah, she lives in Florida. She's like, yeah, I hate the Astros. Go Phillies. They cheated. I'm like, well, okay, everyone's still killing. Not me. I, I just think they're, they're an awesome team. I don't know why they haven't won more. And, you know, it's going to be an uphill battle. Well, that doesn't bother me. Like, because like you said, the other teams cheated too. They just didn't win a World Series. Well, Joe, you're, 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 all, you're yeah. all good, Joe, because one of the house rules of this show is anyone is free to interrupt me anytime they want to agree with me oh, on sorry, something. But... No, if you're, if, you're, if you're agreeing with me as you were, then uh, it's a plus, actually. I count that as a plus. But it's a thing where even for the people that hate uh, Houston, it's a thing, Ken, where you got Dusty Baker over there who has had such an amazing yeah. career in baseball. And I would think that that's a mitigating factor for a lot of people because he's a yep. very sympathetic figure. I mean, pro the number one reason he was hired in that situation is because he is synonymous with doing things the right way. He's old school. And I have to think uh, that, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys like yourself, Ken, that have, you know, had their issues with Houston over a period of time. Uh, but by the same token, that has to lead to at least conflicted feelings because it's hard to root against Dusty Baker. Well, like I said earlier in the conversation, they check all the boxes. And it used to be when I was growing up, it was the Yankees would take everybody's good players and just beat the snot out of everybody. Mm -hmm. So, no, I, Dusty Baker, and here again, we go back to Joe Girardi in, in my twisted world, and they had to have a new manager. And they had to clean this up from from all the all the um, you know the hate them from not only just fans but from other teams that they uh, allegedly they think they were robbed of the World Series because of those shenanigans. But Dusty Baker is is definitely he definitely I hope well wins this thing because if if the you know for the for the fact that he's been such a good ball player. And now he's taken over this team, and he's turned it around. He's done a facelift. Yes. Yeah, because if you go back to uh, 2020, I think they were, what, 29 and 31 going into the playoffs. And the fact that they uh, won the pennant uh, came as a surprise to a number of people uh, based on that. There, there was the sense that uh, based on some of the players that had already left, that maybe their best days had already come and gone. Uh, and they, true, they haven't won a World Series in the last couple of years, but yes, they have only five players left from the 2017 World Series uh, winning team. That shows you how they've been able to rebuild on the fly, and uh, that again, Amazing. you know, yeah, and there's a, there's a case that this is uh, the most dominant of the Astros teams, and I think if they win the World Series, it, we would be hard-pressed to deny that it is the most dominant of those teams, so for something like this and, and kind of come into this, you know, in recent years in different sports, uh, doing previews of various finales here, uh, once in a while you get these ones here. I mean, uh, not to compare where uh, the Phillies are at, uh, Joe, to uh, let's say my Cavs in the 2017 and 2018 NBA Finals, but it was, I had to phrase it in a similar way. Construct a scenario if the, if, if the big underdog wins because I think that's the only prism that you can view this through because we've already established in the course of our conversation if it's head-to-head -head, I mean at least on paper it's a pretty good mismatch when you're looking at uh, the, the defenses involved uh, the the offensive depth and, and the pitching depth here so 
as far as for, for all of us here, let's go through and let's construct a scenario where Philly gets it done. I'll just throw out a couple of quick thoughts before I throw it to you, Joe. And I would say uh, got to be a continuation of the timely hitting. I think as drastic as it sounds, you got to get not only a split in Houston, but I think you got to finish it in Philly. I don't. I think you don't let it go back to Houston for games six and seven because I think the home crowd uh, it be really being that instrumental. And you saw some of the, the comebacks, the exciting comebacks at the end of the National League Championship Series, the way that the crowd was able to, I'm not going to say carry the team because that probably wouldn't give them enough credit for what they did, but sort of be the wind beneath their wings, however you want to put it. Uh, minimize the chances for the bad defense to come into play and uh, basically uh, you know, avoid the circumstances where uh, the Phillies are having to go to some of the lesser lights uh, in, in their pitching pen. And uh, again, I think it's going to take a combination of all of these kind of things here. So, uh, Joe, if, if, if you're getting the outcome you want in the end, what, what are some additional things you think that might come into play to make that happen? Well, I think you're right, Rick. They have to end the series kind of quickly. Um, yep. I, I think a team with a much deeper pitching staff, uh, it, it favors them over a longer series. I agree not, you know, get it done in Philly. The fans here, you know, I do think as Ken's to make, make a big difference, to be honest. So they're going to have to get some unbelievable starting pitching and they're going to have to continue to, you know, if you look at, if you look at the Yankees, I think that, um, Altuve and, um, his name escapes me. It's for the first three games had one hit a piece yeah. and they still, they still cruise, you know, because they're, they're, they're really balanced top to bottom. And I think that you're going to have, need some help from Houston in terms of their pitching. I'm not going to say unraveling, but it needs to be one of those series where we're like, how how'd that happen? Right. Like, uh, I, I think back to the uh, late 80s, early 90s, where the Oakland A's went to three consecutive World Series, probably should have won all three on paper. They lose to the Dodgers 4-1. to one. That was the Kirk Gibson uh, series where he hits that home run in game one. They, they win the next year with the, the Earthquake series. And then the, the, the very next year, again, a dominant ace team versus the Reds, they get swept. Yeah. Like, how's that happen? You know what I mean? It wasn't like game seven and blah, blah, blah. So it's going to have to be – I think they're going to have to get some help from Houston. Maybe Altuve and uh, um, uh, some of their stars need to struggle. Uh, and they're pitching. Maybe Ver Verlander continues his uh, World Series woes because – I think if they pit, if they play like they, their ability, it's I mean it's going to be really hard to knock them out. So I think they're going to need some help, but they, you know the Phillies just have to continue to do what they've been doing. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said there, uh, Joe. Uh, I think it's going to take a confluence of uh, not just a handful, but at least two handfuls probably of circumstances. And hey, based on what we've seen thus far, I mean, look, them beating Atlanta is not an upset on par with this, but it's not far from that. I mean, I kept watching that series like, okay, Atlanta's going to flip the switch any time now, and then it just it didn't happen. Now, you know, best of five versus best of seven. Uh, listen, I, I'm, I'm sure Philly wishes it was best of one, right? <laughs> the shorter the series, the better. <laughs> you know? Yep, and more quickly. Yeah, make it more random. Uh, so, Ken... Uh, any of your thoughts on this here, too? I mean, if we're constructing this scenario where Philly can get it done, what, what are some elements that, that you're seeing? And from your time in the game and from everything you've seen in your decades of baseball, what it would take uh, to make something like that happen? Well, I, 
this is where I'm going to be the outlier again. And I and Rick, I, you know me. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm le- left-handed, and I'm yeah, I'm definitely left-handed because <laughs> I think I, I think a little bit different than probably most people. Okay, I, I do too. I, so I don't think good. I I don't think there's that big of a difference. Hmm. The big I looked I looked at the lineups today mm-hmm. uh, for both teams up and down and what they've done in recent in this last these last two series and throughout and the the biggest difference the biggest thing that I think uh, Houston has over them is they have more pitching depth. Sure, they all have good, they all have good starters. I think if if they get complacent and they go in there now what they haven't lost. In any in anything so far, Houston hasn't. Right, and they've been there before. Philly hasn't been there since what 2009. Right. Yep. 2009. This is the last World Series. The Yankees beat them. Yep. And so they're hungry. Like I said, with the fans and stuff like that. I look at the the starting lineups. Boom, Altuve didn't impress me at all, and some of those guys. But they do have. They do check all the boxes, and I'm giving it, the Astros that. Uh, but who cares about Dusty in Philly? Nobody cares about him. Right. These fans are these fans are into this, which means these players don't want to. And I, and I know they're millionaires and this and that, but they don't want to let these people down. Right. And they're going to go in there with with everything on the line, and they want to prove to these people in Philly that they really they really are for real. Um, so, other than the pitching depth. I think these two teams are really evenly matched uh, for the most part. The wild card for me is, and you guys know this as well as I do, there's always some knucklehead who comes out of nowhere yep. and, and you go, whoa, he turned this whole series around. I mean, David Fries in 2011. David, I always go back to David Fries and all those clutch hits he had against the Rangers in 2011. One of those guys. Bill Mazeroski. Mm-hmm. Uh, exactly. Danny McClain or Lolich and those guys. Uh, on and on. Well, what about and what, the Mets? What about Bader through the first couple rounds of the playoffs? He was like the Brian Doyle of this year for the Yankees. You know, I was recalling some of that uh, from back in the day. So, absolutely. Indeed. That, yeah. can, that can kind of come into play a, a little bit here. And then the, the last factor that I'm thinking of here, I'm going to run this by both of you guys, is motivationally so for houston it's the fourth pennant in six years and uh yeah they don't want to make it the third time in a row that they've made it to the world series and lost out of those times but i mean if you're houston you have a reasonably good expectation uh that you're going to be back if not next year the year after whatever you've you've still got a window versus for philadelphia again this is kind of the rare instance of a rebuilding team that became like a veteran to young veteran team along the way. They're in a league with the Dodgers and the Braves. So it might be fraught as well as the Mets too. Let's throw them in there. The Phillies were third in the division four. I I can only imagine what Callis would be saying purist that he is that a third place team is in the world series. (laughs) Although I think we all know that's a rhetorical question, what he would say. Right. But uh, as far as it goes for Philly, it's, if one team has a now or never sense, it's Philly. I mean, mm-hmm. this is their moment. Absolutely. You got to yeah. seize this. You got to make it. You got to. You got to strike while the iron's hot. Because if you're Houston, you could be back in the next couple of years. 
Not out of the realm of possibility that Philly would, but not the same odds as Houston, let's be honest. So how does that work uh, psychologically there, Joe? Is that something that, that helps Philly is knowing, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt motivationally that, like, we got to do it now, there is no tomorrow? You know, I, I think so. I think you're absolutely right, Rick. And I, I always, I can never understand, and I always disagreed with this when I hear people talk about a major underdog, underdog saying they're playing with house money, they have nothing to lose. They have everything to lose. They have as much to lose as the Astro. What are you talking about? Yes. All right, it's the World Series. You don't get back there every year. Right. Philly's made that run back in the uh, early 2000s, and they got one ring. They had the four-star, that Holiday, and Cliff Lee, Roy Oswald, Cole Hamels, and... And and they never repeated. They left. They we think they left at least one ring on the table. It is tough to win for Houston, though. But I do think yes, this is it. And I don't think they think this is house money. We have nothing to lose. I don't think that's because they're going in with that mindset. But I think hey, listen, guys, this was a magical run. This might not. You know, you never know when something like this is going to happen again. Whereas Houston, yes, I think they might think that we're this good. We could be back. But I also think. They want to get that kind of that 2017 monkey off their back. They've won one chip in in, in the six times they've been to the uh, ALCS, four times to the or three, however many times they've been to the World Series. They won that year, and everyone even they still go places and hear the cheating, uh, see the cheating signs and the snickers and the and and the uh, the comments from opposing fans. I think they'd love to get it done without having that cheating uh, aura around their neck. But uh, it, it, but it's two psychological things. You're right. I think it's now or never. But I think Houston wants to really kind of distance himself from that that cheating ring that they that they've received in 2017. Absolutely, that's a very very good point there, uh, Ken. How do you see it, it as yeah. far as motivationally with these teams here and how both of them look at it? What what are what are you thinking uh, as far as that goes? That uh, Philly. Uh, probably has to be looking at it like we can't count on being back here at some point. Houston can't possibly be thinking that in their minds because the odds are they will. So how do you, how do you see that all shaking out for the psyches of both teams? Well, like I said earlier, I think the motivation, if it can sustain itself, is on the Phillies' side. Uh, they'll they'll feed off that uh, if if that's to be continued. Um, the Astros, they're like a three-piece suit. They've already got they've got everything put together. They've got people coming up through the system, and they've been there before. And like you said, the number of times they've been there and haven't won it, that's their motivation. Uh, but are the fans complacent? Uh, I think they I think they'll come back and pull for them. But I still I I think that if if a play has to be made, somebody has to dive and make a super play. I is, I think the Phillies have that going for them because I think they're going to give it that extra effort. And both teams are going to play for it all, obviously. But um, that's how I see. I'm just, you know, and I've surprised myself by saying this. No offense, Joe, but uh, I I didn't see the Phillies at all coming up. No, here me neither. Like most people didn't. And now I see these things that the intangibles uh, that these guys are just – you know, there's all kinds of stuff. I see Bryce Harper, who I thought was a, you know, a very talented guy when he's with Washington and stuff like that. But I thought he was all about himself. But when I saw Schwarber hit that home run and his reaction, <laughs> and everybody and everybody feeds, and you hit on a point there that I brought up earlier, that he is the Pete Rose. 
because who looked at him and his expression when that home run was made? Mm-hmm. All, his, all his teammates. So they're feeding off him. I sound like I'm a Phillies homer, but... Uh, no, 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 not at all. You're right about that face. They keep talking about that face around here, by the way, that face and how, well, like you said, Cannon kind of just feeds into the... He's part of, you know, the team. He's not all about himself. And for what he was such a, I was telling my kids this, such a jerk coming up when he was in the minors, blowing kisses <laughs> to the pitcher oh. when he hit a ball 550 feet. He turned into the most level of team player, like great guy, great community, family man. I've never seen quite the turnaround since <laughs> he came into the league. They, they love him around here. Uh-huh. Well, and everybody wants a lead. Everybody wants a leader, too. Everybody wants a leader. Everybody yes. wants to, to follow somebody, especially mm-hmm. in these kind of things. Who's going to lead us? Who's going to say the right words at the right time? Who's going to go over and just, like, pump us up when we're down a little bit? Those kind of things. And those guys don't grow on trees. Um, and I don't know who the leader is for Houston. They have several multi-talented players. Yeah. Uh, but so I don't know if that answers the question or not, but um, I just see things differently with this Phillies team. I think it might be Bregman or Altuve or a combination, I think, because of their tenure there as far as being leaders. But uh, so yep. what I'm going to do here, so for uh, wrap-up thoughts here, I'm going to start with you, uh, Joe, as far as any other thoughts you have on this and I'm going to exempt you, Joe, uh, because of you being, uh, you know, in the market there, head versus heart. I'm not going to force a prediction out of you. Make one if you want to. I'm going to say Astros in six. I think it is going to be a very competitive World Series. And, uh, again, any other thoughts uh, that you have on this, Joe? In terms, yeah, the only thoughts I had in terms of a leader and being a leader, and Harper is really, you know, uh, come to the forefront as a leader you you have to perform to be a leader it's not all about being verbal pete rose performed you remember that catch he had at the second out of the when bob boone drops the ball he's right there makes the play um tim tebow was here <laughs> got a cup of coffee with the eagles as a third string uh, quarterback and everyone the boy can be a leader really he the guy who's not going to play can be a leader no the guy still had you Think of any team's leaders. There's guys who perform in big spots, in big moments. Because, you know, you go 0 for 25 in a postseason, who's going to be there? Oh, let's follow that guy. No, you, you still have to perform on the field. And Harper's been doing it. Hoskins has been doing it. So they've all kind of, like, really have performed. But, again, the leader, the, the, the heart and soul of this team runs through Bryce Harper. And it's going to have to if this continues. So, I'm going to say if if the Phillies do win, it's going to be one of those. What happened in the Astros? They win in five. If the Astros win, it's going to be six. Yeah, I, I think that's entirely reasonable. I, I believe that completely. If Philly wins, it's in five. Uh, Ken, any other thoughts? Years we didn't get to? Uh, yeah, the, the thing that I would say is I think it's going to go six games. I don't have a horse in the race here. I I get definitely up on the Phillies and definitely on. Um, to win, but I also wouldn't be ashamed by watching the better team win it for Dusty because mm-hmm. again, that's that's baseball and that's what's so nice about the game. Uh, the one thing I'll leave you both with, uh, I think six games, and I'm just going to kind of say either way, I'm fine with it because I think it's going to be a hell of a series, I, especially if the Phillies jump on them quick and take one 
in Houston uh, right off the bat. That would be that'll be a stunner for the uh, for the Astros. I think so. Uh, the the one thing on a side note, watching this '80s game, the NLCS. Um, in 1980, those uniforms were awesome. Yes. <laughs> How great were they? Those were awesome. Yes. Oh. Well, as as Ken if, if you ever but, come to the part where Vern Rule, the pitcher, uh, again, they don't have the replays like they do today, but it was a big controversy because he turned it into a triple play. It was a ball off the. I'm still mad about it because I think it bounced. But if you guys ever get a look at it, tell me what you think. Vern Rule turned a triple play. Out of, to me, was basically a ball that bounced in his glove. But see what you think if you ever come across it. Yeah. <laughs> I will. Yes. Oh, well, indeed. Remarkable. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, and as Ken knows, uh, I have, uh, you know, largely because uh, I drafted him and had him for 10 years in the keeper league that I'm in with Ken, I have a George Springer yep. Astros rainbow jersey just because that is one of the most badass jerseys <laughs> ever. Although, yes, you do. I'll tell you this, though, uh, Joe. A lot of people put, at least on that same tier, Philly's Baby Blue as far as, you know, the epic uh, sports teams yeah. of all time. So, yeah. I have my Gary Matthews. I have a Gary Matthews one from, uh, from oh, the wow. 90s. Uh, I'm sorry, the 80s. Gary Matthews. Sarge. Yeah. Can, can we get a throwback game? Right now. We, we need to mandate at least one throwback game in a yeah, World Series, right? right. That would be fantastic. Rainbow versus Baby Blue. <laughs> those, those unis are sweet, guys. You're absolutely sweet. right. They are. Totally. I'm, watch, I'm, I'm watching this, and I'm like, man, oh, man. And the other thing I like about the 80s or uh, compared to today, these umpires aren't you don't have to go with any damn phones or any of that stuff. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> yep. It's like, Jesus, <laughs> you want to slow the game down? Or change it up? Cut that shit out. Well, you know, you know what, Ken, with you with you saying that, I feel like Callus is here with us in spirit with you making that crotchety <laughs> point. <laughs> and, I, and I'm tipping my hat for that. Exactly. That. Exactly. Looking forward to... Uh, Looking forward to getting Callus back on here, but I tell you what, in some form or fashion, uh, this is a panel we have to uh, revisit here. We, we have done some different sports and topics with both of you guys over a period of time here, so this was a fun panel as I expected, and uh, yes, we will have to reconstitute this uh, at some point here. Thank you both so much for being a part of this thing here today. Uh, Ken Detweiler in for Steve Callis, our good friend Joe Stazek. Great FDH Lounge dignitaries. Thank you, guys, and thank you, everybody, for joining us for FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1538.